All right. All right. I think I think we got it. I think we got it. Good afternoon, good sir. Good as afternoon. I, how are you? As I how drop my pen right as we get going. Uh, I'm good. Good, good. You know, it's a nice uh, Sunday. Beautiful day here. We went for a walk. Uh, uh, I got a little lightheaded because I, uh, unfortunately, I thought I had a big enough breakfast. I was kind of experimenting with something and I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. And then the thing is, our walks are more like hikes. So there are five kilometers and it's up a mountain. So really, it's more of a hike. And so we get about like halfway up and I'm like, I don't feel so good. Uh, And we're at elevation, obviously. So came back, ate a nice big bowl of oats uh, with some Organifi green powder. So and some collagen peptides. And now I'm 100 percent. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, The uh, lunch of champions. Yeah. And this this is a tie into our previous episode of. transparency and training transparency and training and transparency and diet because i'm letting you know people are like damn that sounds like hardcore which is me monday through friday right i'm very strict with my diet uh and i love it uh but on the weekends you know especially because i live up close to my parents now we cut loose so we uh, as a heads up i'm eating trying to eat so healthy this first half of the day because i'm having homemade sour braten this evening Ooh. Yeah, that sounds good. It, it's my stepmom's making it, so it is guaranteed to be delicious. She has never made anything bad. That that really sounds good. It, it's it's gonna it's gonna be good, but it's my first time trying it uh, of hers, so it'll be exciting. I'll let you know how it goes. I'll probably take a picture and send it to you. That sounds good. That sounds awesome. Yeah, as I've said that three times in a row now, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds real good. You know what yeah. sounds real good is rage and honor. That's right. But today we are not only talking about rage and honor. We are talking about rage and honor and rage and honor two. Colon hostile takeover. Oh, two for the price of one. Before we get into our discussion, though, there's a little bit of uh, movie news to talk about this week. Actually, the trailer for the new Mortal Kombat. Finally dropped. Did you yes. watch it yet? I haven't watched it yet. I have it to my save later because I was walking. So as you, as we discussed, we're doing a lot of walking. I'm trying mm-hmm. to do five to 10 miles a day right now. Excellent. And so I go through my YouTube and I hit all these save to watch later. And the only thing I've watched today is Rage and Honor twice. Nice. Hey, that's, <laughs> so, that's like your job. You're doing your research. Yeah. But so t- tell me about the, tell me about the trailer. No spoiler alerts. It looks amazing. And keep in mind, I'm, I'm someone, most people, you know, there's all, quite often a critique of film adaptations of video games. They just, for some reason, have trouble getting it right. And I think a lot of times that has to do with the higher up executives at production companies getting their greedy little fingers on it, you know, thinking, well, how do we make this more marketable for families? So it gets toned down or <laughs> we have to do the toy tie-in type thing, you know, and Obviously, the original Street Fighter movie. A lot of these movies, in retrospect, we watch and we think are kind of fun now. But the first Mortal Kombat movie is actually probably one of the better ones they did do, even though it, I feel, did not capture the true essence of the game. It's usually still held in decently high regard by fans of the genre. It's entertaining. Uh, it's got a great cast. The The music was awesome. It kind of set this new standard for this techno-driven action uh, that we'd see later in films like Blade, for example. And I, I, you know, 
will admit that the the fight scenes were pretty weak uh, in the first one, aside from the two fight scenes that were like done a little bit later and Robin Shu actually choreographed himself, including mm-hmm. the awesome fight scene with former guest Keith Cook between Reptile and uh, Liu Kang. So that one's awesome. And then the fight between Johnny Cage and Scorpion was awesome. But the rest of the action in that first film is, you know, subpar. But the trailer for this new one, it looks like they finally got it right, man. So a few things. The action looks awesome. The cast is incredible. And the violence, you have to watch the Red Band trailer, obviously. But the violence is just, it's the video game and then some. (laughs) And not in like a cheesy replication either. It's it pays homage to it, but it's definitely a cinematic flair, but man, you're like, yeah, it's fatality for sure. And obviously the cast is incredible. And I think they got it uh, done. They did very well with the casting. Cause the thing is none of these actors are quote unquote, a list stars, but they're all phenomenal uh, performers that have kind of worked their way up. And so I feel like a lot of that budget that goes towards sometimes throwing towards big name stars takes away obviously from the production value and in this case we do not have to worry about that but you know you have someone say like Ludi lynn who's playing Liu kang who is in the mm-hmm. power rangers movie and aquaman has been building a name for himself uh in the star is a uh I, well I, I guess technically we don't know yet but one of the main stars is lewis tan who's playing a new character like not from the original video game uh and Louis Tan has been working his way up a uh, super awesome performer. We saw him in things, uh, a small part in Deadpool. We saw him in Wu assassins into the Badlands, stuff like that. And he's a phenomenal athlete, a uh, uh, big, strong, handsome guy, great leading man potential. Uh, I've had the chance to meet him and hang out with him at house of champions. Really nice dude. And obviously the son of legendary stunt performer, Philip Tan. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, total bias of my own, but one of my classmates from the Shanghai sports university is playing Kung Lao. And that's Max Huang. Who's a longtime member of the Jackie Chan stunt team and an incredible martial artist, incredible talent all around. He's a really good musician as well. You know, fluently speaks at least three languages I know of English, German, and Mandarin Chinese. He's, he was the fight choreographer for the Jackie movie, bleeding steel so we've got a lot of people like that in this. So, oh, and obviously, duh, sorry, Haruyuki Sonata is in it as well. And uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting some others right now. Oh, uh, Joe Taslam from yeah. uh, The Raid and so forth. And he's it's, it's, zero. And it's just, it's going to, I have a really good feeling about it. It's it's a really exciting cast. And I really like that there is a, a veteran actor in Sonata in there. I mean, uh, uh, he just has phenomenal screen presence. Uh, and so I've, I've been a big fan of his for a while. There was, I think the first time I was exposed to him was actually like a mini series TV drama that he was like, um, uh, diagnosed with cancer of some sort. So it was almost like a, a remake of Kurosawa's Ikiru, but it was modern and it was like a five part mini series. And it was just so phenomenally good because I'm used to seeing him as like a tough guy uh-huh. and he was just playing like this. I don't know. I, I love his acting chops. Uh, really subdued screen presence. I mean, sub subtle, but phenomenal screen presence. It's just this really nice balance that comes across. And as a veteran actor in in this type of film, he's just. I, I think he's going to be a little bit of a scene stealer. Oh uh, yeah, and and I I like that. And people forget he. I believe he's performed with the Royal Shakespeare Company as well. 
And I so believe- to, to not only perform with the Royal Shakespeare Company, but to, to do Shakespeare in English when your native language is Japanese on top of that, it's just, it's extremely impressive. And however, no performance will ever beat his interpretive dancing from Shogun's Ninja. And in case you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch Shogun's Ninja. I actually just recently got a, a DVD, like remastered copy of it. I've always watched the readily available, like VHS version of it. Uh, but seeing it remastered is awesome. But I love that film. And he does this kind of <laughs> really interesting interpretive dance sequence. He, he kind of does it maybe twice in the movie, but mm-hmm. a phenomenal athlete and performer all around. I mean, as a martial arts performer, just some of the stuff, especially early in his career, you're like, holy moly, it's on par with like the peaking opera guys almost. Yeah. Because if I'm not mistaken, he was maybe the, the first, or I don't know, only like, I believe he started with, Sonny Chiba's the the Japanese action yes. club like as a child yep. uh because his first role that I know of is in Sonny Chiba's The Executioners where he plays the young Sonny Chiba character like age 12 and mm-hmm. so I believe like he grew up in like learning stunts and stuff and martial arts and all that but we digress a little bit yeah uh there, if, there was if, go if ahead. you do want to watch one of his movies uh that's kind of like an indie Japanese film Twilight Samurai yes yes, yes. get your it's, hands on that one it's funny that's on my Netflix queue I know what people are saying is like oh I can stream it on Netflix no it's on my Netflix rental <laughs> DVD queue yes I started doing that again this year best decision ever you know why because that's how I was able to rent both Rage and Honor and Rage and Honor 2 uh, which we are about to talk about. But one last thing I want to mention is just this morning, I saw a video from Men's Health. You can find it on YouTube where it's uh, Bob Odenkirk talking about his training for his oh. upcoming uh, 8711 action movie, Nobody, which looks phenomenal. That trailer dropped. I think we talked about it like a month ago, but yeah. Daniel Bernhardt was his main trainer. And so it's a video of them going over like the training they did for the movie and very impressive to see the stuff he's able to do because it's not like they were trying to turn him into Thor or something like that, right? But, you know, he's doing a lot of uh, cardio, like uphill bike riding he does and a lot of pull-ups. Uh, but the best part is at the end, he hits the pads with Daniel Bernhardt. And I was extremely impressed for a guy who didn't, like, has no real athletic background, didn't start till his late 50s. He has very good form on the pads. And I'm not trying to say, like, oh, he could step in the ring and fight. Not at all. But he has very stellar good form. Uh, and it just goes to show a, a talent of Daniel Bernhardt's that even though he had is how phenomenal of a personal trainer he is because you see him working the body mechanics. A lot of the stuff in the exercises they're doing are specifically geared towards martial arts. You know, a lot of stuff in the transverse plane in motion, which uh, to explain is pretty much like when you twist like rotational stuff, which is essential, especially for boxing, kickboxing. And so you see him work the pads and you also see him do uh, some kind of side to side footwork that we do in Sugarfoot, like, you know, Sugarfoot likes to call like the Lemachenko step sometimes. And He's very coordinated and I was very impressed. So Daniel Bernhardt is obviously on my list of the top 10 Western martial arts kickers. So shout out to him. Any other news before we get started? Uh, I'm ready to jump into this. I can't think of any, any news off the top of my head other than like I'm, I'm in, I'm in rage and honor uh, like mode. And I'm hoping once we, once we jump into it, I don't choke. (laughs) Well, uh, and just as a heads up, I obviously love these movies, but this is kind of your wheelhouse. These are two I know are very special to you. And I have a uh, very special connection to the second one more so than the first one. But 
in terms of like nostalgia factor. If anything, yeah. I actually have more of a personal connection to the first movie now with who's involved in it and so forth. But how about let's talk about first. And I always like to mention this just because I'm a nerd. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw these films? Um, I remember. Yes, I do. I completely remember. Okay. Uh, one was, I think, junior or senior year in high school. Uh, just got back to the States or actually by then we had made it to New York. So I was now going to high school in New York and HBO had Rage and Honor on it. I think I've mentioned this before when I like uh, talk about Richard Norton and like his influence in my life and like how I was mm -hmm. able to relate to him when I was watching the Hong Kong movies in Japan. Uh, but HBO was playing it. We had a week free of HBO. I watched Rage and Honor. And then the next day I was maybe under the weather and had to watch Rage and Honor again. Cause you know, HBO would do that. They'd play the movies back to back. And by uh, under the weather, you mean you lied to your mother and said you were sick. So you didn't have to go to school. Yes. Mm, mm, smart move. Classic. Yes. You know, uh, I, I wouldn't know about that though, because, uh, and you know, because I was so cool as a kid, I had perfect attendance kindergarten through high school, 13 cool. years. I never missed a day of school. And I'm not lying. That is an actual AJ trivia fact. You may have not known. I still have the plaque and everything. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know why. I, I've admittedly talked about how I definitely have elements of OCD, which I've learned how to channel functionally. But as a kid, it just, for some reason, was one of those things. I suddenly, I wasn't even trying. And then like th three or four years had perfect attendance. Then I was like, I wonder if I can keep doing this, but I digress. So you saw it on HBO. It's not an HBO uh, high school. So if I'm in New York, had to be like 11th or 12th grade for sure. Mm -hmm. um, Rage and Honor 2. Uh, I had arrived in Long Beach, California, where I was going to, where I was going to Cal State Long Beach. And the blockbuster on Bellflower Boulevard had a small martial arts section. And in that martial arts section was Raging Honor 2, Hostile Takeover. And I was yeah. like, they made part two. I loved part one. I'm renting this tonight. And uh, I rented it a few times from Blockbuster. Uh, and I may have even, uh, you know, put in a second videotape and copied it. Oh, uh, the old school. So for <laughs> listeners that don't know uh, what you used to have to do, uh, if you really loved a movie, you would have to, you'd get two, like, okay, keep in mind, this is also back in the nineties and stuff where we didn't, it wasn't as easily accessible to order movies and, you know, so forth. You could try to go to Suncoast video and, but that it was also super costly. So you may just have occasionally gotten a second VCR, hooked it up to your first VCR, played the tape. And then as it was playing on your TV, you hit record on the other VCR with a blank tape in there and it mm -hmm. would record what was playing on the TV. And therefore you'd make a duplicate copy. But if you were really gangster, you bought a double VCR, which actually just <laughs> yes. did that function on its own, which yeah. my mom got one of those when she decided to go back to grad school. Cause like she had to get, uh, you know, sometimes it was like VHS tapes for her studies and she would mm -hmm. need to make copies of stuff. So she bought one. And I remember when she brought it home, I was like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't have to bring the VCR from upstairs downstairs anymore. I can just use this one. Hallelujah. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that you and I did the same thing. Yes. Uh, and, and if, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but not sorry. But yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> the the I, FBI is going to come busting down both of our doors like, freeze. As we record live. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're listening. No. Yeah, so that that's the first uh, first time and second first time that I saw Rage and Honor and Rage and Honor Two Hostile Takeover. Uh, 
definitely I'm looking forward to getting into it. I think we both might have a nostalgic link to Rage and Honor 2 a little more, mm-hmm. but Rage and Honor 1, when we get into it, it's just, I think it's, I think it's the ultimate classic. With that said, when did you first watch these? So Rage and Honor 2 for me, and it's funny uh, being that, so when you were in Long Beach, like in the early 2000s, right? Uh, the 90s. 90s, late 90s. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, cause I remember uh, for me, I saw Rage and Honor 2 first. I was already a huge fan of the genre. I've been watching uh, martial arts films for years at this point, but this would have been probably around like freshman year of high school. Uh, so early 2000s. And uh, by that age, cause my parents divorced when I was really young. Uh, by that age, we were too old to be going to my grandma's house anymore where my mom used to send us a lot during the summers in Oakland and on the weekend. So we were old enough to take care of ourselves in my dad's house, uh, mm-hmm. like while he was at work and stuff. And so I remember it was probably like summer after freshman year and, uh, my dad had finally gotten premium cable at his house. So we had showtime and like you seeing on HBO, it was playing on showtime that whole summer. So I remember I used to go and I think we've talked about this before, but, uh, you know, I would check the TV guide every week, right? That was like the old school way, like in the, the late nineties where I would, the TV guide would come in the mail, uh, not, not the brand TV guide, like your regular newspaper had its own local TV guide for all the channels and cable channels in your area. And I would go through there and check every single movie playing yes. and check every single martial arts movie. That's how I first was able to record dragons forever at 3 AM on TBS. But once my dad got this digital premium cable, I was able to scan through the whole week. I'd go to every channel, probably take me like an hour and look, yep. And just scan ahead as far as it let me and see any movie. So I see Rage and Honor 2 is playing and I watched it. Uh, Obviously I recorded it just normal recording off the TV and just watched that thing like crazy. And so it'd be a couple of years later, probably uh, I rented it from either Blockbuster or Hollywood video down the street from his house and saw that one as well. But Rage and Honor 2 I watched just so many times, but I hadn't seen either film in probably at least 15 years when, uh, before I rented them a few weeks ago and watched them. So it was great to see them again. Uh, I remembered so much and then there was stuff I totally forgot about. And so that's why I'm very excited to talk about both of these films. So let's obviously start with the first Rage and Honor, which I think you may have said it to me before, but you kind of brought it up just now. Here's the deal. Rage and Honor 2 is awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. Look nice. at that artwork. Yeah. So Rage and Honor 2 is awesome, right? But it definitely, and no, not trying to insult it all, it feels like, you know, a straight-to-video action film. Yep. Whereas Rage and Honor has that feeling of being more like a real movie. Yeah. And it's interesting because I brought this film over to my uh, dad and stepmom's house because my dad, when I was growing up, he would watch all these like movies with me and would always sit there, even though he barely had any free time for himself and watch what was quite often bad films. But he always loved Cynthia Rothrocks. And so I brought this one over because you know they were excited that our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham's in it. Uh, my other coach in Los Angeles, who I trained with part-time as I was training full-time with Sugarfoot, coach Kathy Long is in it. So they were really excited. And so I was surprised not only how much my dad liked it, but my stepmom just loved it. And I was like, really? Like, I thought she was just, she's like, I thought it was so much fun. And I thought it was such a great movie. And I think it just goes to show kind of the quality of this film. Uh, I concur 
I concur completely and I'm throwing myself off because I keep looking at my computer screen and it it says muted. I'm like, wait, it's muted. (laughs) Uh, But um, I concur completely. First off, the film has three Los Angeles based teachers as martial artists. Mm -hmm. So as you mentioned, the aforementioned Kathy Long, uh, Sensei Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, and also uh, Sensei Obata. Yeah, I attended one of his classes once. When and I was in downtown LA. Real quick, maybe you'll know better. Is he uh his actual style? Is it is it Aikido Jiu-Jitsu or is it something yes. along those lines? Yeah. So it's like Aikido with the sword. Right. Okay, got it. So that's I oh, I know that one. That's not Aikido Jiu-Jitsu, but I mean, it's, well, technically it's Aikido I- came from Aikido Jiu-Jitsu. It's uh, it's like yeah. I-A-K-I. I I don't know how to say it. You're the more of the expert than I. Um yeah, I'm trying to see if I can if I can find it here so uh so allegedly he does also the sh- uh, allegedly oh man i'm not not alleged at all he does <laughs> i'm saying alleged because it's on the internet right shinkendo which okay. is the true sword way uh, uh so he's the founder and headmaster of shinkendo japanese swordsmanship uh, again according to the uh uh, internet. Uh, and I, I know he does Aikido. So I, according to the internet, it's two separate Aikido and Shinkendo, but I think there, there is some kind of blending of the name and I can't yeah. find that right now, but so I don't know where to start, the, but let's talk about the filmmaking first of this aspect of this film. I think it, this is the absolute, not gold standard, the absolute platinum standard of straight to video filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, techni- from a technical uh, standpoint? From a, yes. from a technical standpoint. I think when we start to talk about the fight sequences, we might, you and I might lean towards Rage and Honor 2 having some of the better fight sequences. Yes. But the fight sequences in part one are no joke. They're nope. realistic. Mm-hmm. And um, you can see the influence of the, those three instructors uh, on, on screen, even if it's just in the scenes that they're in. You see Petey's influence. You see Kathy Long's influence. And you see Obata's influence. Um, from a filmmaking perspective, what I noticed about when rewatching it today, uh, what I noticed about it was it didn't have any explosions and I think it saved its explosive explosion budget, the straight to video explosion budget and used it on the casting of all the supporting actors. So you had some real martial artists in this film with Richard Norton and Cynthia Rothrock. Of course you had, Obata Long, Cunningham. Of course, I think there are also a few other true martial artists in there. Uh, Roger Yuen. Roger Yuen. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, who only has one short scene, but it's a great scene. Mm-hmm. It's a great fight sequence. And then surrounding them are actors who who definitely have their SAG cards for their acting, whether it's uh, from the Dukes of Hazard or uh, some soap operas, <laughs> film, television, uh, just a really great cast that support them. There are sometimes uh, maybe some interesting cast choices. So, uh, or not cast choices, but uh, acting choices, but nothing that's like a bad acting choice. I think uh, Hannah the Hun played by Alex Dasher, Dasher of- uh, Passenger, Passenger 57. 57. Yeah, of her, of, of um, Passenger 57 fame. I think uh, Hannah the Hun might be a hard sell for some people to right. watch. Be- but you know what? She goes all in on that. and. There's a, there's an arc for every character, so I'm gonna I'm I'm nerding out a little bit. What what I also loved about this, with the lack of explosions, I think the director Terrence Winkless mm-hmm. um, spent time getting extra shots in here. 
And if we were just to focus on like just a few sequences, whether it's the sequence where Richard Norton is busting the cops who are dealing drugs or where Norton is chasing Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, these extra sequences of like Norton's fingers right yep. on PD's arms and then slipping up. Or when he when PD pulls the trash bin around and Richard has to jump over it, you see the jump over and you see that uh, there's a ground shot and then Richard ro- does a tumble and roll. There are these extra shots that you normally don't see in a Western martial arts film. And I really think a lot of that has to do with the amount of time they spend on the fight sequences and also the amount of time, uh, generally speaking, also the amount of money they're putting into the special effects. This was minimal special effects and straight, we're going to tell a story. Uh, They added in some great side actors. I really like the character who played Baby. Mm -hmm. I also really like the way the characters revealed information. So often the information is revealed too quickly in films that aren't layered in the writing. I think uh, I'm jumping all over this film. And if you want to stop me, just mute me. It's okay. Uh, When Richard Norton goes to see the class that's being put on by Cynthia Rothrock, the art of martial science, he's talking to his uh, boss, the sergeant, uh, and she's telling him the background story of Chris Fairfield uh, or Fairchild. She changes her name between the two films, but Cynthia Rothrock's character. Mm -hmm. So, when he asks about, so what about the brother? So, or what about Conrad Drago? So as he's like about to at, get an answer about who Conrad Drago is, Cynthia Rothrock walks over, hey, do you want to help out? So uh, we don't find out. Uh, when everyone's like going around talking about baby, ba- you know, where's, who's this baby character? When we finally find baby, we don't know why he's called baby until a little later. later. And I think a lot of credit needs to be given to the director writer who it's the same same person Terrence Winkless because he layers it almost like a David Mamet film mm. in that questions are asked answered later um so i'm going to pause because i've said a lot oh I no i mean, because i'm getting okay i'm eating it up that's why i'm like yeah, yeah okay deep dive i like this i like so well, the, for me anytime let's look at it this way the fact that we're even such even able to take such a critical and analytical approach to this film shows some of the deeper context of it that you don't always get with these kind of movies, right? You, you can't really, for example, another film involving all these same people that we love, China O'Brien. I can't really do much as much analysis of that film as I can with this, right? You know, I'm not going to be able to really c- compare Robert Klaus's directing of uh, China O'Brien to any sort of auteur established director or anybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. Uh, I, I think uh, one aspect that also makes me really gravitate towards uh, defining uh, Rage and Honor as the go-to straight-to-video martial art film is it also has a martial art spirit to it. Mm. Uh, which I yeah, I think when I used to have conversations with my mother and she was like, why are you always watching these fight movies? I explained to her like, when you were growing up, you used to watch a lot of Westerns. And I also used to watch those same Westerns and I would call the martial art films Easterns. I said, it's, if you watch the best films that come out of the martial art genre, they really pick up, pick, pick up the slack that used to exist in the Western films where you're seeing a, a story arc and an opportunity for growth and the best, the best martial art films, the best uh, old Westerns, 
have an opportunity for characters to grow and not just the main one, not just the main two characters, but every character and every character is presented a choice in this movie. Um, uh, I can go through some of those choices if you'd like. Well, uh, I just want to <laughs> chime in real quick. Uh, you know, according to some, for example, I had one professor uh, in my master's program who, you know, basing it off of what the CHC or classic Hollywood cinema, you know, some would argue there's technically only four genres of film, which I completely disagree with. But for example, this one professor, I not butt heads with, but forced me to really think outside the box, you know, he would get so angry whenever I'd say the action genre. He's like, that doesn't exist. The action genre doesn't exist. It's the Western. The Western is the prototype that all, you know, and I, and I disagree, but I would agree with the fact that the Western was the template that later genres were born out of. But, you know, for uh, you, and as you mentioned, there's that Eastern element as well. But when we look at the characters of the Western genre, a lot of times it comes with this moral dilemma, right? Uh, and not so much necessarily a, an anti-hero, not always, sometimes, yes, but there's definitely a moral conflict uh, in their decision-making and kind of sometimes their past, which we definitely have with Richard Norton's character in this film, but also for him, the decisions he has to make, does he save his own hide or does he help, you know, Cynthia Rothrock out more? So there, there's definitely that element right there found within this movie just a lot of character depth that you don't get in the typical straight to video. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, I, I had a similar conversation with, uh, with a film professor, like in film one, 100, uh -huh. state Long Beach, he, he put on a Miami vice, uh, episode for us all to watch. And he said, this is, you're watching a Western right now. See, this yeah. is just like a Western. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I see it. But also there's like, there there's there's there are divergent there are differences and that's why we have all these genres and subgenres and and cult genres and cult classics and so when when i uh, when i talk about the eastern with my when i was talking about the eastern with my mother and like not calling it oh, it's just like a western because there are different choices presented and different ways to uh just like if we go to Karate Kid, there's growth mm -hmm. in the characters and they have different choices. And I think that's that's we've talked about that uh, story wise being one of the best martial art films, uh, at least on the Western side yeah. of, of Hollywood side. So they're doing martial arts, participating in martial arts informs you and helps you make better decisions in in life. And I think so while while there are more dilemmas within westerns there are different ways to solve those um i don't know if you hear that yeah i was gonna say it's definitely not up here in the mountains uh that those sirens are los angeles but to chime in real quick back to you know this argument of oh there's only four genres it's the western blah blah that's also kind of an ignorant standpoint to take due to the fact that let's look at eastern cinema and yes you could make the counter argument of oh well cinema was brought to china by you know these western filmmakers are European, right? Like, oh, so the filmmaking in itself is inherently Western and therefore it can't be escaped. But, and in that sense, from a technical standpoint, maybe, but let's look at it this way. So let's look at the wuxia genre of Hong Kong martial arts cinema, right? That is an already established 
narrative form of like a thousand something years. And these storylines, they just adapted them to the screen. So to try to make this argument that, oh, it's from the Western, that's baloney. If anything, this one came first. And obviously, you know, I'm not as familiar with Japanese cinema, but there, there's these documented stories of samurai, right, of the Ronin and so forth. Uh, and, you know, novels that outdate even as long as America's been around, uh, you know, the book of five rings, right, and stuff like that. And so these kind of storylines are what helped form the early days of martial arts cinema in the East. And martial arts cinema in the East helped influence martial arts cinema in the West. So you're obviously going to have these elements borrowed within Western martial arts cinema. So to try to argue that, oh, no, it's just the Western and it's a modern day Western. No, I would completely say you're just being ignorant and not acknowledging the uh, uh, the impact put that Eastern cinema has had on Western cinema. I agree. And I, I think the fact that we're having this conversation, just like if, if anyone who's listening to the podcast, uh, this is being inspired by Rage and Honor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, I don't know. I, I, there are moments in this film where I'm actually doing like appropriate laugh moment. You know, they're just mm -hmm. like, just great moments and I, I um you know i i i think um there's so many there's so many questions that emerged watching this film and like if we and i i think i was you know as everyone knows or everyone should know you have a master's in cinema with an emphasis in a cinema well, the master, so at Cal State LA, because uh, yeah. my undergraduate program at UC Santa Cruz was film and digital media. At Cal State LA, it's uh, communications with a television and film studies option. And for me, 99% of everything I wrote was based off of martial arts cinema, particularly Southeast Asian cinema, Hong Kong cinema, the uh, global influence of Bruce Lee and so forth. So that's kind of like what I chose to focus on in my wheelhouse, in a sense. So yesterday I, I was texting you about, I want to do like a critical dissertation of Rage and Honor. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was just finding it really difficult to, to do because I mean, it is, it is a straight to video movie, but there's so much meat here. Um, and uh, so I don't, I, yeah, I, I could stay on this film for a little while. Like just, just the matter of uh, uh, we've talked about the budget, the, the casting, what I also like is how this cast and the choreography, which I know Richard Norton and Cynthia Rothrock were definitely sort of in charge of, had to mm -hmm. be in charge of. I didn't see a stunt coordinator, a separate fight choreographer. Yeah. But there's sequences that we talk about where like PD's involved. And you can tell, like, it's almost at one point where Richard Norton, when he's facing off with uh, PD, it's like he's doing, he's almost doing uh, one of the one of the um, sequences we might do on uh, on the pads. Right. Uh, so, because uh, for as reference that people may not know, uh, yes, Richard Norton trained at the Jet Center for years. Yes, he's very, uh, I mean, he's like best friends with Chuck Norris. He's trained with Chuck Norris, but he's training at the Jet Center. And yes, he's very close and good friends with uh, Sensei Benny the Jet. But in actuality, most of Richard's kickboxing instruction was done by our Sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. 
Yeah. And, and then if we, if we uh, fast forward a little later in the film, when he's uh, facing off with Kathy Long, it's almost a, it's a real short fight, but yeah. she's like throwing some great Muay Thai, like leg kicks right into him. And oh, I yeah. mean, it's seeing that as like, Oh, this is, this is someone who's like, uh, I mean, obviously she is a champion, but I, I will say this from having trained extensively with both of them, uh, Petey sensei, uh, has the hardest knuckles I have ever felt like yeah. hard as hell. Kathy long has the hardest ball of the foot I've ever felt. And so, you know, that's for people that don't know, that's kind of, if you're looking at the bottom of your foot, the top, just before the toe start. And so, especially when doing either teeps or push kicks, that's the the part you use. And one day when she was demonstrating in class, it was, you know, where you're throwing like a lead leg type teep type kick to the sternum. <laughs> she, she's just got insane accuracy as well. Right. So she kept landing there, landing it, landing there. And I'm the one fighter that shows up, uh, that was showing up to her class. And so I'm trying to act tough. And then finally, I'm just like, Kathy, I, I can't, I can't take any more. <laughs> and like, she was obviously using control and stuff, but it was just like stone and Petey's hands when he would sometimes demonstrate on me without gloves, he'd like, you know, to some of the newer students and he'd like throw a hook and he has extremely good control, but just feeling it like, even tap the, the, my temple. I'm like, holy moly. Yeah. That is uh, shit. His shins are like iron bars. So his shins are ridiculous. I, yeah. I, I remember. <laughs> so like when he, when he, we used to take the Colburn students up to, to train with him. Right. Uh, he would like have me stand in the ring at one point and like just demonstrate a few kicks is how you're going to land that kick. And, and like the bone would hurt, you know, yeah. my thought, my femur would actually hurt, but I can't let on that. It's, it's hurting, but like, I felt like my leg was just going to collapse. So yeah. he just like lets that just touches his shin to your, to your thigh. Yeah. But we, uh, we digress slightly, but back to yeah. Kathy long. Yeah. She's just uh, one of the most phenomenal coaches in martial arts I've ever worked with. And, you know, even when I was training for, you know, I always trained full-time with Petey, but uh, I would try as much as I could to get out to her on the West side because she taught once a week at that time at the Inosano Academy, she since relocated uh, out of state, but uh one fight in particular, you know, I was training with PD or I was training at house of champions four days a week. And then I'd go out to her one day a week and she's just a brilliant coach. And it's just, it's a, it's a shame that some sort of fight gym hasn't just been like, please run our fighters program because, uh, she's done some of the best, like drilling I've ever done. I love her classes with, you know, her different drills. She has the, and some of them are very similar to PD's, you know, hit for hit, kick for kick, two for two, a lot of great sparring drills because, you know, a lot of times with PD, sometimes we just go old school. It's like, all right, we're sparring, you know, like the guys show up, we're sparring, boom, give and take mitt sparring, give and take mitt sparring. But what Kathy does a lot of is uh, sparring drills. Like, okay, we're doing low kick sparring. That's it. Okay. We're doing hit for hit sparring or punch for punch. So I can punch you once and then you have to punch me once. And then, and then two for two, so forth, so forth. And if you only do that, it's obviously going to be counterproductive, but adding that with also sparring and everything, is just awesome. And uh, she's just such a tactician like Petey that of course, that's going to be able to transition onto the screen. Yeah, it, 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 it does. It absolutely does. And uh, I just, I know she only has a couple of short sequences, but they make it really count. She and Richard obviously have this great chemistry that, you know, we see more later uh, down the road and under the gun, which I think is just like, if you're going to do a straight to video movie and you want it to be a straight to video fight action movie, that's like, that's, One of the, the, best. that's the other gold standard. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Gold uh, standard for sure. And we will definitely do an episode on that. Uh, you know, it'd be great to get one of the two of them to talk with us. Uh, but so, yeah. So the, a trick, I would be wonderful. They would talk to us. Yeah. Uh, trick question for you yes, while sir. watching. And I know we have to, we probably want to eventually merge to uh, number two. Yes. Who is the best fighter in this movie? Uh, script wise based on the script it, as you reflect back on it based off the script i'm gonna have to go with uh obata sensei very good you, because you won that you won, i wish yeah. i had a prize yeah <laughs> well <laughs> simply because the 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 one fight he and richard have right like the extended fight which uh is it's it's um, my you know i can be very critical that fight has some brilliant moments and then it has some missed mm-hmm. opportunities as well mm-hmm. i know it's something as simple as i even love when like they're checking low kicks and stuff which is something yes. you wouldn't see a lot at that time the muay thai influence that obviously came from richard training uh at the jet center with pd and so forth not the call uh pd a muay thai fighter but pd trained in dutch kickboxing as well which is why he had such phenomenal leg kicks and obviously he learned muay thai and so forth and so forth but obata sensei you know he wins he wins that fight and then he pulls richard up out of the window simply so the police don't see they bow and that's another element that martial bushido element that's in there but script wise obata sensei is definitely the best yeah hands down i mean and uh and i i love that you you remember that that moment as well with the bow and the, the Bushido, like that's, that's one reason I just love this film. I can, one of my favorite martial arts sequences in Western martial art films is uh, Nico or above the law with Steven Seagal, the very opening sequence where he's training oh. people. It's, it's just, we can talk about that some other time, but, but I don't mean to cut you off. We can talk. No, about not at all. I'm just going to okay. say, that's like, that is, that's when people ask like, so, and I get asked a lot, who's hey, Steven Seagal like legit at Aikido? Watch that movie and you will see, I mean, you can maybe argue, there's definitely arguments to how he earned his ranking and place within the world of Aikido. But when you watch that opening sequence in Above the Law, you see at at one point in time, he was an extremely competent and legitimate Aikido practitioner. Yes. Uh, And, but that whole opening sequence, I just, I love the way it's shot. Obviously that has to do with director Andrew Davis. Uh, but I digress. But yeah, it's got that, you know, it's based in Japan in the dojo. And I just, I love that it, kind of setting. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, so the reason I bring that up is while that for me is one of the pinnacles of martial arts sequences in a Hollywood film, the rest of the film, the Bushido spirit is not there. Agreed. Uh, you can the watch C- The CIA doesn't like Bushido. No. Now there, there's some like Billy Blank's films where the Bushido stays in there, like Showdown. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, you can watch uh, uh, college kickboxers, the Bushido way, although I know Bushido is a Japanese term, but the, right. the, the, martial, the martial way is influenced throughout the film. In Rage and Honor, it's there. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it uh, pops up throughout the film, and it's a way of tying these characters together. So even in the final sequence, you know, spoiler alert, but hey, you had to expect spoiler alerts. It's been, you've had enough years to watch this film. Even in the final sequence, when... Uh, Preston Michaels, Richard Norton is trying to come down the stairs to face off with Conrad Drago. Uh, Played by, we haven't mentioned, uh, Brian Thompson, the great character actor, Brian Thompson, who at at this point in time was still extremely ripped. Yeah. Uh, And in this film sports uh, a crazy awesome mullet. Many of you might remember him also as the antagonist from the uh, Sylvester Stallone classic Cobra. Yes. Uh, He's also in Terminator at one point. Yeah, he's in the opening. 
The yeah. opening sequence, uh, him and Bill Paxton both get killed by the Terminator when he steals their clothes. Uh, I like Bill Paxton. Yeah. Um, uh, so may he uh, rest in peace. Yes, may he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he's coming, when Richard Norton's coming down the stairs, Obata still has an Uzi on him, <laughs> and then then he's just like, "You can go." Uh, uh, and I just, I think that there's just small elements throughout this film. The, the Marshall way, the Bushido way just keeps presenting itself. And, and uh, yeah, so it's just, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm losing my, uh, I, I have notes over here and there's like a lot of notes. Well, let's, it, let's, let's definitely wrap up number one. Yeah. I mean, I know we didn't really talk about the plot. Uh, and I honestly don't think that's necessarily essential because if you're going to watch it and you haven't seen it, you know, you can experience it for the first time. Obviously, if you have seen it, we don't really need to focus on it as much. But I, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, I was going to say, before we wrap up number one, I pulled one quote that I was going to, uh, an exchange between two characters. Cool. Yeah, uh, let's talk about that. And then I want to talk about my one critique of the film. I would like to hear that. Okay. Uh, so the, the the final quotes, it's between brother and sister, Conrad Drago and Chris Fairchild, Fairfield. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you killed Sensei down there. And then Conrad Drago responds, that is where Sensei chose to die. And then mm-hmm. she says, I miss Sensei. A foolish choice. Eh, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it, it's very Eastern, right? That whole, yeah. you know, it's just, it, it's kind of an interesting, you've got a sociopath on one side, you've got somebody with that Bushido code on the other. Uh, but it's told in a very almost Taoist, like philosophical yeah. way, right? Yeah, he's perverted. He's perverted the Taoism. I mean, even yeah. the way he kills that one cop is kind of a fantastic sequence. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you have a critique. You have a critique. Well, of my thought. my critique would just be kind of almost, and I feel like in number two, they maybe fix a little bit. I, it's just kind of, and maybe uh, you'll disagree with me is the, the inconsistency in the quality of the fight scenes throughout the film, for example. And I think one of the big factors is very, I was very underwhelmed by the finale. And unfortunately that has to do with, you know, Brian Thompson being a very physical, great actor, obviously not the highest quality martial artist. And that is probably what hurts the finale the most is you've got his very kind of wooden movement, right? Especially for for people that don't know, if you're not a martial artist by trade and you're kind of very, he's very tall, he's very big and muscular, you're probably most likely going to be a little stiffer and harder to move around. So the fact that he maybe isn't of the highest caliber of martial artists to add to that, his movements are going to seem kind of choppy, especially compared to someone like Cynthia Rothrock and then Richard Norton. Right. And uh, I feel like, so that's just my main critique is like, you've got moments of such brilliance and then moments of kind of standard straight to video action quality. So that would be my main critique of the film. I I think that's it. I think that's an extremely fair critique. I think the fight sequences are realistic mm-hmm. uh, in many ways. I could, meaning particularly the hits that Richard Norton gives, you believe them. Uh, I also think that there's a sequence, I forget where it is, where Cynthia Rothrock does a scorpion kick. Is it on? It's on her brother, right? On it's got to be, Thompson. yeah, in the finale, yeah. I'd imagine. And it's actually one of the best film sequences. And I think it's because she had a great cinematographer in a Western martial art film. I know she busts that out a lot, but 
it's a great sequence. I think they try to make up for the, 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 the limitations that you pointed out by having a, a sequence in the middle where Cynthia and Richard are forced to fight each other. Um, and even that, like with the rope sequence, it's a little like, you know, um, mm-hmm. but I love it when they're like, when they're like trading kicks and she's like really trying to provoke him to, to fight because if they don't fight, they're going to get shot. Yeah. Um, and that's in uh, the fight between the two of them is fantastic. Yeah. Right. I but th- the interesting thing to note is, for example, I watched this with my parents, as I mentioned, uh, they are not fans of the genre by any means, uh, just your casual viewer. And, you know, obviously they are a couple of generations uh, above us and they love the film. And I think the action sequences for us sometimes may seem a little basic, but for casual fans are super entertaining because they're watching these very high level martial artists do fight scenes that they, they can easily follow along with. Because what we have to remember is as fans of the genre, fans of Hong Kong cinema, the super complex, fast choreography that we love to watch, some viewers have you know struggled to even keep up with it, especially if they're not accustomed to the genre or a fan. So my critique is based off of my own personal experiences and preferences. However, obviously, some of those same action sequences that may not be my forte are very audience relatable to casual fans of the genre, which at that time, as a straight to video, you know, they're trying to reach as many people as they can. Yeah. And I think I think what where there are weaknesses in the original Rage and Honor which are the fight sequences, particularly the final fight sequence, Raging Honor 2, colon, hostile takeover, makes up for that. And if it doesn't, if it, the final fight doesn't make it up for it, uh, the kata sequence in the middle makes up right. for everything. And real quick, just to uh, clarify, he was not referring to your colon having a hostile takeover, because uh, that would be bad. <laughs> I was like, colon? Did I say colon? I'm like, you yeah, said, of course I did. I probably did colon, put my fingers up. Yeah. <laughs> colon, hostile takeover. Yeah, wait, what? No. But <laughs> on that note, let's segue into Rage and Honor 2. So yeah. uh, this is the film I saw first. This is the one that is my preferred movie of the two. Real quick explanation. Uh, it is set in Jakarta, Indonesia, which is so funny because my memory, even though I watched it so many times that one summer in particular, I hadn't seen, as I said, at least bare minimum 15 years. And I remembered it being set in Thailand, kind of. And I think that's a mix-up from the Richard Norton video, uh, video, a straight-to-video film, uh, Rage, a.k.a. Uh, Death yes. Fight, yeah. uh, which uh, is the version I had, but uh, which is set in Thailand. But so I start watching it. I'm like, oh, snap, this is Jakarta. So you may think, how did they get from Los Angeles to Jakarta? Long story short. Richard Norton's character at the end of the first one is pretty much framed for murder, right? And he, the only evidence to clear his name gets destroyed. So he flees. And obviously in this film, we find out he fled the country and ended up in Jakarta. Cynthia Rothrock's character, who was like a history teacher in the first one, has now suddenly been recruited by the CIA and is on her first mission, coincidentally enough, in Jakarta. So they bump into each other because she is investigating uh, some big international bank that they believe is a front for, you know, drug running or whatever. And Richard Norton happens to have befriended the son of this uh, uh, banking franchise or whatever. And they run into each other and they end up having to team up to bring down the bad guys. Yeah. And uh, the son is played by Patrick Muldoon, who I think went on to Melrose Place. So, well, he was on, wasn't it Days of Our Lives? He was on for like 
20 yeah, years? Is that it? It was a soap. I remember it's a soap. Okay, hold on. Because I remember even when first seeing the movie, uh, my first thought was, wow, this guy's a really good actor too. I'm like, this guy is like really handsome. Uh, and just, he had like star quality. And then that's why I wasn't surprised. I was like, ah, yeah. soap yeah, opera. Well, yeah, William Patrick Muldoon III was born and raised in Los Angeles in San Pedro. Um, Starship Troopers. Melrose Place and Days of Our Lives yeah, for hey. 20 years. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And the thing about the soap opera gig, uh, and it's funny, they were just talking about that on, uh, oh, it wasn't when, I mean, Scott Atkins talked to Kurt McKinney about it on the episode with him, but there was another podcast I was, oh, I was actually back listening to some of the Bruce Willow podcast, the uh, Bruce Willow nice. who's based out of Portugal. Awesome dude. And he was uh, taught, it was the Lauren Avedon episode. And he had mentioned okay. how Kurt McKenney didn't come back for No Retreat, No Surrender 2 because he also got cast on one of those soap operas. And it's not an easy gig by any means. Like, you know, they film super early and this and that, but it's a nice, steady, good gig and paycheck. So uh, good for him having 20 years on that. And then also getting to appear in this classic martial arts film. Yeah. But it's uh, funny because of everyone in this movie, he almost seems out of place because he has like that leading man quality. Yeah. And, but I mean, are, are, can we talk about the twists and everything? There, yeah, there's going to be twists. In yeah, there's going to be, be twists spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> this movie that came out in 1993. We're about to tell you what happened. Although it could be 94. I think this one's 93. The first one was 92. That's Yeah, 93, 92. Nice. So yeah, you've had your time. And if you haven't watched it, shame on you. Get to watching it. Uh, but yeah, Patrick Muldoon, he has that. You're right. He comes across as like he could be the leading man. And is Richard now supporting him? And what I like about between Rage and Honor 1 and Rage and Honor 2, the cover was definitely like Cynthia Rothrock. It was a Cynthia Rothrock vehicle, right. but you can't stifle Richard Norton. And <laughs> by part two, it's like, yeah, these fight sequences with the Richard Norton are fantastic. He is emerging as a straight-to-video star. You know, he's emerging in 93, which is like not saying that that genre is ending, but that genre is uh, is near is near its end. Whereas Cynthia Rothrock already had a great run. Uh, so Patrick Muldoon is cast and he has it's like, oh, are they kind of supporting him? Is he going to be the new star? And then, of course, he has his own TV career. But there's there's a there's a twist where he becomes the where he becomes the bad guy. He was the bad guy all along. Yeah. He yes. was the mastermind. And man, he is sick and twisted. He does such a good job. He does that great, not over, it is overacting for the genre, which, you know, we expect, but he does it with the skill set of a legitimate actor, if that makes yeah. sense. He's yeah. overacting in the best way possible. It's like, we, especially with the twist, and he's like, <laughs> I know. I was just going to say <laughs> with, the, with the blood. Yeah. You taught me everything, you know, Preston, I could kick your ass. And I remember even when I first saw that, so pretty much he's trained with uh, Richard Norton's character for like maybe a month max and thinks now that he is the better fighter and martial artist. I remember even watching that as a kid and being like, huh, this kid really has his head up his ass. If he thinks he can beat him, but it's part of his character, right? He's like the sociopath. Yeah that's so convinced that he's the smartest guy on the planet for having pulled off, almost pulled off this huge uh, international heist in a sense. Right. And he, he really thinks he's the greatest and yeah. 
you know, Richard Norton has to put him in his place quite easily. And I even, I feared when first watching as a kid, I'm like, Oh God, is he actually going to give Richard Norton a good fight? And no, no. It, well, I love the way they played out. Richard Norton's just like, mate, yeah. I'm going to, you know, yeah, there, the three rules, rule number one, never screw me over. Yeah. Number two, never, ever screw, screw me over. Me with, over. Each, with each one, it's like a whip kick of some yep. sort. And then rule number three, how many times I got to tell you, keep your bloody hands up. Yeah. And he like kicks them off the thing. And But, you know, it's the martial way. He helps him up. He doesn't kill him. He pulls him up just like Obata had pulled him up. So yeah. this is true. And so... Let's let's talk about the fight scenes overall. I think the fight scenes in this one are a lot more consistent. That could possibly mm-hmm. have to do with the fact. So in the first one, we get Winkless as the director who seems to bring this very almost traditional cinema type feel. This one, we have Guy Norris as the director, who mm-hmm. is the, uh, I guess you could say legendary like uh, stunt coordinator, stunt guy, I believe from Australia. Because I think he was kind of the one that helped uh, Richard in his career in a sense and like brought him yes. along with the George Miller films and stuff right yes. later on. So he Absolutely. was kind of a huge influence for Richard who has now transitioned into this Hollywood elite level stunt and fight choreographer. And so Guy Norris directs this movie. So now we're getting it from the approach of an action filmmaker, a stunt man and stuff. So therefore I feel like the action in this film is just of a lot higher caliber. Would it you is. It's con- concur? I, I completely agree. So, I mean, like, I was raving over like ra- raving. Yeah. Raving over rage and honor one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great, perfect film. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great film that you can actually study as a, as a uh, aspiring filmmaker. I believe rage and honor Two, the fight sequences, they're just so good. And I mean, I know, I, I know we're used to maybe talking about uh, Richard versus Jackie or Benny versus Jackie or, uh, flashpoint just we we have high standards for our fight sequences but when it comes to straight to video martial arts and the western martial arts this is a pretty good film when it comes to the fight sequences oh yeah and you had briefly mentioned it before but the thing that it's funny as i said there was so much i forgot about these films having not seen them in so long but the one thing i definitely remembered and you briefly mentioned it before is the whole in the middle of the film the training oh. sequence with Richard Norton. So let's start off by saying in this film in Jakarta, he works as kind of like a barman slash bouncer, but also teaches uh, martial arts at like a local Muay Thai gym, right? It's And so the first sequence we have is a sparring session between him and like a local uh, Muay Thai fighter, a local Indonesian guy. And that mm-hmm. fight sequence alone is one of the best like straight kind of I guess you could say one of the best sparring sessions ever put on film, right? But it's yeah. a straight Muay Thai fight in the ring. And you see a lot of that. For us, we see a lot of that sugarfoot technique, right? And you see what a competent martial artist Richard Norton was. And for some people, they may even think that sequence goes on a little bit. I could watch that all day, that sparring. Yeah. Then once uh, Preston, right? That's his, No, Pre- pa- Muldoon's Pre- character. Who's the kid? Uh, Tommy Anderson? Yeah. Tommy. So when Tommy starts learning... From Preston, you know, when Richard Norton takes him on as his student, we kind of have this middle uh, training sequence. So we get to see him explaining and breaking down like Muay Thai and kickboxing technique. Yeah. And once again, some people, even maybe producers, would be like, well, is this really necessary? We can cut time from here and get blah. But it's just, I can watch it all day and you see what a master level martial artist Richard Norton is. And nowadays, he's quite often recognized for how high level he is in grappling arts, especially Brazilian Jiu Jitsu being like a fifth degree black belt under the Machados. Uh, and rightfully so. But remember, his starting point was his striking. 
And then so we get to see him teaching and breaking down the techniques. And when you see him hit the pads, you're like, oh. you can't fake that power. It's not fake. That's like, holy moly. And then one of the things that always sticks in my mind is when he's doing that, what's it? The Sanchin Kata. Is yeah. that what it's called from uh, Gojo yeah. Ryu and the breathing? And I just remember thinking that was so beautiful to watch and amazing. And uh, you see, you see his form, right? Like uh, I, I love traditional martial arts and I'm a big believer in traditional martial arts and the effectiveness of traditional martial arts when trained authentically and correctly. And this is an example of somebody that has a background in traditional martial arts that is legitimate. And when you see the breathing and the, <sighs> and you, yes. you're just like, Oh my God, I want to be like that guy. And that this sequence alone makes it worth renting, you know, yes. or buying or whatever, or watching or getting your hands on because you just get to see what an expert Richard Norton truly is. Yeah, uh, abs- absolutely. Uh, nail on the head, 100%. Uh, just the w- during the Sanchin Kata period where he's like explaining the, <gasps> yes. he, he actually like goes in, he's like, what I'm doing here is I'm contracting this. And, and it's you can't just, fake that. That's somebody that's taught it. it for years as well. Right. Yeah. Like, you and know, it's, it's, yeah. It's like basically Guy Norris is like, Hey Richard, we're going to let the camera roll train Patrick Muldoon for, for a few hours. Yeah. And you see the sun's kind of setting. It's just the two of them in the gym. Like when he's doing the bag work, you know, at one point he's holding the bag and you know, Patrick Muldoon just talking about like going to a party or like something or other. And like the kicks are, the kicks are legit for, for mm-hmm. someone who's learning switch it up. And then Richard just like ripping into it. And at one point like, he does like, I think a, a tap kick, a front kick. Right. Yeah. And then the, the Patrick team. Muldoon falls teep kick. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, Richard Norton, uh, Patrick Muldoon falls back. You can't fake that pushback and you can't fake his reaction where he like smiles. If Richard Norton did that to me or PD did that to me in a class, I would definitely be like be smiling too. Cause like that power is on screen and legitimate. It's some and of the like- best. Yeah, when yes. he's teaching the hip rotation <laughs> yeah. for like a Thai yeah. style roundhouse kick. And he's yeah. like, you know, you got to put your hips into it. And then he kicks and you're yes. like, Jesus Christ, that <laughs> yeah. power. Uh, and I mean, that that goes from his authentic, longstanding martial arts training, like in his his root system of uh, Gojo-ru, his years of training in kickboxing under Sugarfoot at the Jet Center, but also his years as being a... Uh, a practical tactician in the sense of his, uh, for how long he was a personal bodyguard and security, uh, individual as, uh, you know, kind of his second career before he got into movies where he worked as a bodyguard for many high, uh, level performing artists, such as Linda Ronstadt, James Taylor, the Rolling Stones, ABBA, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, he actually had to apply this stuff in real life, probably, you know, maybe not a ton of times, but I know I have listened to him talk about certain incidents where he had to use his martial arts. And I, you, I'd imagine, you know, I've myself and people are always so surprised. I've never been in a street fight. I've obviously been in, uh, you know, I compete in Muay Thai and I've been in multiple, multiple, uh, fights in that sense. But, uh, and you, you learn quite quickly, you know, how it, the necessity of having good technique and properly using body mechanics uh, in order for your techniques to work properly, right? Especially in a non-compliant situation. Like, so if you've never been able to pressure test your technique with a non-compliant partner, uh, you're going to find out real fast in a real life situation, oh man, this doesn't work. <laughs> Grab my arm. Grab it. Grab it. Yeah. No. Wait, hold on. You hold on. Wallet, gra- you have to grab wrist. this wrist with that hand. Wait, no, no, no. You're no, grabbing no, no, the other way. I need you yeah. over. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. I, no, don't pull. Don't pull. Push towards <laughs> me. 
Like, yeah. and that's the, and I'm not trying to knock on, uh, you know, a lot of those type of things, but as I always joke, I think, okay, when it comes to like risk grabbing stuff, sure. It's good to learn at least one way out of like each grab, but that's all you really need is one good version because really you should always start off striking somebody in the face or the groin first before you even, you know, yeah, don't, like, don't let them grab you. Yeah. Hey, that's, but if that's they, the but ultimate. If they grab right there. you, just get out. Yeah. Have that one yeah. technique to get out of it. Yeah. But um, uh, once again, we, we digress per usual. Uh, so I have yes. a correction. This was the second, you're talking about the second fight sequence. The first fight sequence was Richard Norton uh, protecting his friend's bar. Uh, Wait, we didn't mention which fight sequence are you talking about? You just went straight to the training. Oh, I know. I was just, I was just talking about in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to like go back to that sequence because it rarely do you actually get, uh, I'll call it like a a rumble in the Bronx sequence in the liquor store where Jackie Chan has to like face off with multiple assailants. Rarely do you get that for Richard Norton because usually he's the bad guy in a lot of films Mm -hmm. or it's just one-on-one stuff because he's the main like good guy or so Raging Honor One had a little bit of that where he's fighting the two, uh, the two Hannah the Huns ladies. Yep. But in this, he goes, I think, against four or five guys, and he's just—it's a great sequence where he just like takes control of the room and clears it, and then the guy he calls Blondie uh, just observes and yeah, you know, Ron Vrieken, Ron Vrieken. <laughs> so Ron Vrieken definitely, you know, we see him. Flet does his hair, and he—we will see him later, but. What I love about that sequence is Ron Vreekin basically sets up the fight and then beep, 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 beep. Oh, I got to go. Yeah. I got to page. Yeah, you guys take, fight him. T- take care of him. So yeah. real quick mention of Ron Vreekin. There's not a whole lot of information on him. So as far as I know, he did three movies with Richard. He did this one. He did one of my all-time favorites, Death Fight or AK Rage, we mentioned earlier. And then also he's in Under the Gun. And from what there's not a whole lot of information on him, literally everything that is on him is on IMDb and it says Australian, but I'm 99% positive. He's Dutch originally. And I think because his accent is like this, you know, I'm, I'm not the expert on all. I know that kind of sounds Russian, but it's definitely not Russian. I'm, I'm almost trying to do Holland. Right. You know, like now I think I've got it a little better, but either which way he's, I, I, because the background that it says on IMDb says he's a Kyokushin champion, which makes total sense. He has that Dutch kickboxing style, but mm-hmm. also judo, uh, jiu-jitsu, all this other stuff. Because he looks and feels kind of like an MMA fighter. And their fight sequence in this movie is great between he and Richard. But the one in uh, Death Fight, Death aka fight. Rage. Is that is- the one in the in the gym? Right. In his gym, oh where in, in that movie, he's playing what's supposed to be a shoot fighter or a shooto fighter, which is one of the original MMA styles that was created in Japan in the 70s. And they started doing competition in the 80s, uh, like in 1985, like so like eight years before UFC won. So that fight sequence between Richard and him in that film is maybe the first truly MMA fight ever on screen, I would argue, due to uh, both of these individuals' diverse backgrounds and they use grappling. And obviously this guy supposedly has a judo background. Richard definitely has a judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, but we could talk about that another time. Uh, but pretty much Ron Vrieken is what we think a Dutch-Australian uh, Kyokushin champion kind of kickboxer uh, MMA guy. And so he's a great asset to this film. Absolutely. And I think they have a, a, a little teaser fight right in the middle. And right. They have a great fight sequence at the end where it's like, it's kind of power on power throwing yes. each other. And I, I remember reading a, a review of this film, I think uh, on YouTube or trailer, you know, people are leaving comments underneath, like what they really liked about this film is there's blood. 
Yeah. And you know, the blood is like, it's dry blood sometimes. And there's blood in Thor's hair. Uh, Thor. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the character he played. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite characters in this film had like a lot of acting responsibility put on his shoulders because they, so we have the main cast who are good. We have the, we have the bad guys and the muscle, you know, the henchmen that are good. And then you have some like guys who just don't belong there and Mm -hmm. in film ever. Uh, And then, so you have both of those guys interacting with, I'm going to, you might need to help me with his pronunciation of his name, Franz Tumbaum or Tumbaum. You you act like I I speak, is that an Indonesian name or something? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Let's see here. He played played Buntal. Right. Buntal. That's what I'm trying to, let's see here. Uh, Why isn't he on the the front of the IMDb page? Uh, Uh, We have to click on full (laughs) cast. Hold on. Uh, Hey, where's Buntal? Oh, there we go. Yeah. Franz Tumbuan. I don't know. I, I do not speak into, is he Indonesian or is he, he might've been Filipino. Let's see, because a lot of these films had, uh, yeah. oh no, he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's Indonesian. Yeah. So I think he's a big, I think he was this uh, Indonesian soap opera actor. Oh, very cool. So he really goes for it in this oh, film. Yeah. And there's sequences that just like the actors who come up, it was Dazo. He stole all the money. He stole yeah. all the money. <laughs> Just he and, took my money. Yeah, you let him get. But don't worry, relax. And then he and kills he has the that guy. like that random little sequence where he's also singing like because he's so happy yeah. like the bubbles. Bubble, yeah. And I'm like, oh man, this guy is going for it. But you know yeah, what? Went, it's like, yeah, that's that's what. But he's memorable, and that's what films like this need. And then, of course, like when when uh, Patrick Muldoon's father is threatening Boontal, he's like, you know, he has yeah. Thor get behind him and do him, put him in a choke lock. And then he's like, you're forgetting I have I, I do these voices too well. Yes. I'm realizing this is a little embarrassing, but that's OK. You're forgetting I have the papers. And then he like tells Thor to go, well, why don't you give those papers to me and I will keep them for you. <laughs> that's, that's actually a really good job. I was expecting like something totally off, but no, it's uh, that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with that said, I just want to like give a little shout out to Franz because the guy went for it when he could have easily, he was, he, he had to do a couple of scenes with actors who were at probably were just maybe someone who helped produce the film. I don't know, related yeah. to someone they're in the film and he carried these scenes and he did a little bit of that over the top. Patrick Muldoon definitely goes over the top uh, in the way that we want. And I was actually going to re- kind of uh, say in many ways, he is the straight to video. His, his portrayal of uh, Patrick Muldoon's portrayal is the straight to video equivalent of maybe Terry Silver. Maybe that's Ooh. going too far. Ooh, no, you know what? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think that's a great uh, comparison. But, uh, I mean, Come on, yeah, Terry, Silver. Is, <laughs> yeah. Terry Silver is just one of the greatest, maybe one, probably the most underrated villain ever, like of all like yes. cinema history. I mean, he's just yes. so good. He's just so good. And I can't wait until they bring him into Cobra Kai. And you know it's yeah. happening because they it hinted at it. Oh, well, in the flashback sequences of the last season, spoiler alert, like we, we know, uh, oh man, he's just so good. Quicksilver. He man. really is. Yeah. yeah, and, and as a Vietnam, for- as a Viet- as a, uh, Terry Silver as a Vietnam vet, I, I from my, uh, what I understand, he's probably aged pretty well. Yeah, 
<laughs> and, well, and the fact that I, I can only hope he's kept up his martial arts skills because he his he was maybe the best martial artist of the original trilogy without a yeah. doubt. Like involved. I mean, obviously, okay, yeah, the first one had uh, oh, what's his oh, name? The one that Steve plays. McQueen. You mean Chad oh, no, McQueen? No, Steve McQueen. Chad, Chad McQueen. McQueen. Well, Chad McQueen was a great martial artist, I'd say, He's but like, legit, yeah, yeah, of skill wise. Oh, the one oh, that I know who you're talking about. The tournament fighter. He uh, should have won the tournament. Let's be he honest. He should have. He should have won. Uh, oh, what's the character's name though? Because they even mentioned him in the last season of Cobra Kai, and I've met that actor before. He's a super nice guy. I, I know his like Instagram ha- handles like Rocker Breaker Boy or something. Uh, you know what? We 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 haven't done him justice. Hold on, Karate Kid. We're gonna look it up right now because. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, dang it. I, I clicked uh, Wikipedia at first. All right. IMDB. I thought he might have made the Wikipedia list. That's how you know you're a legit cast member. Uh, okay. Let's see here. Let's see here. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Oh, my gosh. Full cast. So I just, I, I want to give this guy his due. Uh, he's after the referee one. Mr. Freddie, Jimmy, Dutch. Tommy, Bobby, Johnny, what a great names. Uh, karate semifinal. Daryl Vidal. There we go. But they, uh, that's the actor's name, but they just have him as karate semifinals. But I know they mentioned his name, but either which way, Daryl Vidal would maybe be the 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 top. Actually, he's a longtime Kempo practitioner with incredible yeah. kicks. But Thomas Ian Griffith is also phenomenal. But once again, we're stepping out of what we're talking about. Let's go back into Rage and Honor 2. Okay. Uh, let's kind of give some final thoughts. So... Rage and Honor 2, it has that cool international feel also. Obviously, shot in Jakarta. Yeah. Uh, I always have an affinity for these films set in Southeast Asia. They obviously influenced me a lot because I ended up moving there. Uh, and I love my time spent over there. Overall, I think we can agree Rage and Honor is kind of the more cinematic. Absolutely. Uh, the two, whereas number two is the more action-packed and perhaps more legit in that department. Yeah, and I think uh, um, I don't know, man. I, I love these movies. I, rewatching Rage and Honor was like a, a was a wonderful trip down nostalgia and memory lane. I loved uh, the extra characters in there, particularly Baby uh-huh. uh, and and PD, and just like it's just fun to watch that movie. It's great to see like a true Hollywood treatment for Richard and Cynthia at that point in their careers. Uh, but when you go to Rage and Honor 2, Hostile Takeover, come on. That is just pure fun. Pure mm-hmm. fun. That's uh, that's like the one uh, you get the boys together and some beers. And it's like, all right. Yeah. A, a little more brainless, but a lot more action. Let's do it. Uh, and by the way, after watching that movie, I wanted the same jacket that Richard was like wearing. And like somehow my family delayed the, me from like getting it. The duster one? The duster. Oh, without a doubt. Because then all you got to wear underneath is a wife beater. <laughs> I know. And you and take then, that off when you're fighting, when you're going out the bar. Right. Sell your car, get a motorcycle. Yeah. And, but see, you would work perfect where you live riding around Venice like that. Nobody would even blink an eye. They'd be yeah. like, oh, what's up, Gavin? Uh, full disclosure in a, in a, I think a blue indigo plastic container box in my storage unit, mm-hmm. there is a spec script or maybe even shorter than a spec script, Raging Honor 3 where they come back to LA with the diamonds oh. and they've opened a bar. Oh, a Sharky's. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, I you, might you pull know. that out and share that with you and then we can, uh, we'll do it. 
That's that's funny because if we were to do, I would 100% be down for that. You would be the the front runner or the show runner of that, right? Because that's the great thing nowadays. It's actually you could just do like Netflix series of stuff as opposed to a sequel. <laughs> yeah. So you'd be the showrunner of that one. The one I would be the showrunner of is the sequel to No Retreat, No Surrender 3. Oh, God. Which, yeah. which is hard because as they're standalone films. So it would be the, the <laughs> sequel to No Retreat, No Surrender 3, Blood Brothers. I mean, yeah. I already have one title, which is No Retreat, No Surrender, Blood Fathers, you know, <laughs> which, That's which, great. Which, which makes sense because now they're old enough, right? And uh you know, as once again, Lauren Avedon is on my list of the top 10 kickers as, and Keith Vitale was honorable mention. I know Lauren Avedon's still incredible from his videos he posts and stuff. And I know he's mentioned he can't do a lot of the same aerial stuff, but I I've watched him, you know, do some stunt work as a recently like test stuff. And he's incredible. We know Richard Norton and Cynthia Rothrock are still incredible. Uh, Let's just well, combine I, them all. Let's combine them all together, man. Let's do like an Avengers one type universe, thing. One universe. One yep. universe. One universe. They're all together. And they've all got all these villains come back from hell that, you know, they all die pretty much. And they're led by the Stingray. Yes, of course. And oh, man. Oh, man. So I just want to say to our, uh, are we up to 30 listeners? To our 30 yeah, oh, listeners? You we know, know who get, you are. Yeah, we're, we're getting we more will and find more. You. Yeah. you cannot take these ideas from us. Yes. I I have a particular set of skills that have made me a nightmare for people like you. Uh, Yeah, no, and we we appreciate the support, by the way, everybody. Yeah, please keep sharing. Uh, Yeah, the the Scott Adkins podcast. Yeah, they gave such a nice review today on Twitter. So thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, and that's just awesome. Uh, And I love that Uh, you just sent that to me earlier. And honestly, if people want to reach out to us, feel free to message us. Like you handle the Twitter account. I handle Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so if anybody ever wants to message us or even like be like, hey, can you talk about this? Hit us up. Yeah. Yeah. We can just talk make, about it. Just make sure on Instagram you don't have some weird spammy looking profile that ends up in my like message requests. And I think, you know, because it's funny as the more followers we get, because we've been getting actually a lot more followers, I get way more spam as well. So just accept it all. Yeah, except yeah, <laughs> click yes, friends, friends, friends. But yeah, we're down to talk forever and uh, about whatever. And the funny part is sometimes we struggle to pick something, right? So if anybody has a suggestion or perhaps thinks there's something that we may know that they've always wanted to or just wants to hear our critique of something, reach out, let us know. On that note, on that this note, it's so much fun. Thank you oh. so much for like. For his, for like agreeing to these because th- this was fun rewatching them. Hey, and it worked out perfectly because I had just recently watched them. I mean, I don't watch them twice every Sunday like you do. Uh, you know, I know Gavin acts like he did it just for this episode. But that's kind of like his church every Sunday morning is the Church of Rage and Honor. You let them get my money, <laughs> my money. Uh, but yeah, so diamonds? as of right now, <laughs> what diamonds? <laughs> uh, we uh, we can only hope that we can act as good as him one day and play golf a lot better. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, we have a few ideas and episodes in the pipeline. We have a few special guests lined up. So we're just mm-hmm. kind of solidifying those details. Uh, you possibly may be taking some road trips soon. So maybe we'll get to record some stuff together in person. That would be fun. That would be fun. Uh, Yeah. Otherwise, on that note, awesome recording as usual. And we'll get another one in uh, next week. Sounds great. All right, my man. See you later.
Adios. Peace.